really sad news for you. You have sad news? Well, this, depends on how you look at it. In this world of uh, happy news daily. <laughs> You're right. Never mind. I won't, I won't share it with you. No, no, please. Please tell me. Our friend, Olivia Rodrigo. Huh? Our friend, our yeah. Olivia Rodrigo. No, I know. I'm mean, oh. sorry. I just got nervous. What's the no, set? Yeah, what happened? You're getting emotional. Uh huh. She's getting a lot of plagiarism claims. Oh, no. <laughs> From who? Just... Uh, the one most recently that I saw was uh, Paramore. So, they, uh, Haley Williams and what is it? Let's see, I'm looking it up right here. Well, I, I'm trying to to pretend like I know what Paramore is, but I yeah, should just um, come, come clean. Uh, da, 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 da. And I want it, and I want it right now. Remember how we were talking about Dan Nigro? Uh-huh. And how he wrote music for an indie band around that same era that Paramore came. Well, I don't, you don't know Paramore. I guess Courtney Love also came for her. How about that? Okay. Well, no, no, sure. Paramore, I need to know. Is this is a generational show about me not knowing shit about whatever so it's so, great it just fits right into the mode that i don't know anything about paramore uh, but courtney love that's gen x style so it's really combining generations here she's stolen from everybody in so newsweek reports in in a june 28th post on twitter user billy edwards who who knows no shit first song on this uh album sour which is uh, Olivia Rodrigo's album, where stickers are all over her face, is pretty much a direct lift from Elvis Costello. Whoa. And Costello replied to the tweet saying, this is fine by me, Billy. It's how rock and roll works. Mm. So, yeah, so Courtney Love said she, uh, she was she accused Rodrigo of stealing her album artwork concept. I see. Interesting. So I guess there's stickers all over uh, Courtney, Courtney Love's Love had, face. Courtney Love had the market sticker cornered on, on sticker face. It's not how that works. I don't think that that works like that. I mean, can we see? Can you? Can we? Can we pull up these images here? I gotta yeah, see. Yeah, let this. me see. Let me see. I don't think. Let's see. So here's, I have a lot of opinions about this. I have a funny um, anecdotal story that I wasn't there for, but I've, I've, I've heard it a few times. Uh, let's see. Courtney Love. Can you tell that I was really prepared for today? Oh, I could tell when you didn't wake up in time to record. Oh, that's really sad. <laughs> Everybody. Aha. I waited around for a while. Okay. For for Jess to wake up this morning. <laughs> Not a while, just like a good a good strong half an hour. Oh, I'm a, seeing this. I'm a seeing robust. this. A robust half hour. Um, so, this upset prom queen holding flowers. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at right now. Uh huh. So yeah, totally. I mean. It totally is the same vibe. Mm-hmm. And 100%, they said, hey, let's make a, um, an album cover that reminds us of that. Mm-hmm. Right? They, yeah, they didn't yeah. not. They didn't not say that. I mean, unless they're, I mean, unless they're just totally clueless that this was a, th- a thing, and which is highly unlikely, right? Incredibly unlikely. Uh 
there, you know, art does influence other art. I don't know that this is a direct rip because it's not the exact, exact same positioning, right, of the picture. So we're looking at, um, a, you know, a, a teenage bra- a teenage prom queen crying, holding flowers. In, now, and now Olivia Rodrigo is in a medium shot. She's turned away from camera, looking off and up into the distance, whereas Courtney Love is... is it's not it. Courtney Love, I don't think. Oh, it's not. Yeah, I was going to say, is that what she looked like? No, this um, woman is also wearing, like for the, a 90, 94 album, that's like a Farrah Fawcett blowout right there, too. Mm-hmm. Like that's not necessarily 90s hairstyle, I don't think, especially for a grunge queen. That was definitely a concept. And she's looking right at the camera in a tight shot. So this happens all the time. And it's, I don't know. I I like music a lot. I write music. I used to at least write music. Music is a huge factor in my family's genealogy. My grandmother wrote music for Motown. Uh, she claimed that I Will Survive, the beat track, was stolen from her. She was never credited for that. Oh. Yeah. So this is not anything new with regards to... It's a big song. Oh, it's a huge song. I, she also wrote B-sides for Michael Jackson. She wrote hits for Dusty Springfield. I have, like, three albums with B.J. Verdi on there. Like, she was a good songwriter. She just, in in the Motown era, like, one of the, like overseeing guys would come in and go, hey, just change that chord to that or, you know, and then all of a sudden they're not credited on the, the album or, or the song or whatever. I think mm-hmm. I think that song, if I remember the pieces of the stories correctly for I Will Survive, it was like around the era when she stopped working for them too. So it like, oh, did she actually work on that or not? Um, a lot. It's almost impossible to invent a song that hasn't happened before but the reason we i think we talked about this we were talking about olivia rodrigo before the reason so many people in our generation like the music is it because it's it's a pretty good callback to shit we were listening to at 18 through 25 because of dan nigro because he wrote musics in bands at that time yeah Am I making, sorry, am I too tired for this? <laughs> no, you're making a lot of sense. I'm just trying to think of like how to contribute to this conversation. Well, no, what, so what I, I can continue, I can continue. And then when you can contribute, you let me know. So the, I think all that happens with uh, the Paramore song for Good For You is the two writers for the Paramore song are now just listed as writers on the Good For You song for Olivia Rodrigo. So now they'll oh. get... Yeah, that's what the plagiarism deal. So what I read, though, too, it said uh, Haley Williams said that they had been in contact with the Olivia Rodrigo team before the album was even released. So they knew this. Mm. They knew that that song had a hook that would make us like it or remember it. And so they just were trying to get, you know, work out the terms like that. So sometimes what happens is they'll either get listed as a writer or they'll be a silent contributor and just get like back end dividends, but Olivia gets to be the one that wrote it with Dan Nigro. Mm, mm-hmm. There was a um, before Tom Petty died. Do you remember Sam Smith? Yeah, I believe a, a moody singer songwriter. Stay with me, stay with me. Like he was like a they, a they. He's still 
I think he is now they, them, if I remember correctly, um, like a pop artist that uh, Taylor Swift loved. <laughs> an, an English dude? Oh, okay, no, English I, think person? I, I think I was thinking of somebody else, but yes, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, a couple, a couple of years ago, it was Sam Smith, this, that, everything. And their song, Stay With Me, is 100% um, and I won't back down. Gonna da, da. It's 100% this oh, yeah. Tom Petty song. Yeah, it and is. And Tom Petty was asked in the newspaper, like, oh, how did this happen or what happens? Tom Petty says, oh, this happens all the time. It usually doesn't get past us, though. And what you're seeing is the aftermath of it getting past us. So usually these things happen like, hey, we're going to steal from that song. We're going to take from that song. And we're going to take from that song. Uh, let's get in contact with Tom Petty first. But, uh, you know, and get the deal hashed out before the song is record- is released. So what had happened with the Sam Smith thing is it it had gotten released before Tom Petty knew it was out there. And so it seemed like this big scandal, this mm. whole plagiarism thing. But if this is common in the music industry and you release the album before you do your due diligence, then it is a little bit shady, right? I think there's that's a good that's a good that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. So uh, remember, stupid guy. Okay, who was the father in Growing Pains? Oh man, uh, Alan Alda. No, no, Alan. Alan. Rick. No, Alan. Alan. Jesus. <laughs> Where's our producer with our notes? Uh, J- Jessica, who's the father? So Alan Thick. Uh, Alan thank you, Thick. Thank there you we so go. Much. Thank you so much, Jessica. I got so, Alan. I knew Alan. You did it well. Robin Thick ends up coming out on the scene, you know, with these like funky influence like pop songs, and they're all fucking James Brown fucking rips, all mm. of them. And so they were like getting lawsuit after lawsuit and they weren't making any money <coughs> because the lawsuits came after the fact. <laughs> so like songs that were huge for Robin Thicke, all of the fucking proceeds were getting ripped in half because of these fucking lawsuits. Had they just done their due diligence to begin with, maybe they would have had a better profit share. hundred percent. I don't even know if it was James Brown. I'm sure I could be remembering it incorrectly, but uh, plagiarism. Let's see. Pharrell Williams and and Robin Thicke ordered to pay $5 million for their song Blurred Lines. It's a Marvin Gaye song. Mm. But there was all sorts of stuff from that. So one of my favorite anecdotal stories from this is, do you remember the song? Yummy, yummy, yummy. I got love in my tummy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, song about. I I sing it all the time. Especially now that I have a a child. It's a. Great. It's a great Do you callback. actually really sing that to your child? No, no, but it's a song that I would sing to my child. Why would you sing that to your child? It's about swallowing cum. Oh, well, no, I wouldn't sing that song to my child. <laughs> I, I would, <laughs> one, I never do that. Good to know. Good to know. I, uh, I had all this time, my entire life, I never do that. Um, but, Okay, well, uh, now I feel weird trying to justify why I would sing that song to my child. 
Um, I think because I always just assumed it was because I ate ate a piece of chocolate cake or something yummy. Mm, yummy, yummy, yummy. You had smashed peas and honey. You know, whatever. I would, you just make it up. Uh, uh, but no, um, I will not sing that song to my child. And thankfully, I never have. Um, I think it's that song. I always remember this anecdote as that band, but I can't. I don't know if that's right. There's a there's a George Harris. I'm glad I could give that piece of information for you too. Yeah, because thank you. it's got such a sweet. It's kind of like people not knowing that afternoon delight was like you know getting in an afternoon bang session. Maybe people mm. didn't know that. You know, mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. it's like you playing the weekend for your daughter <laughs> and not knowing that he's a deviant. You know what I mean? So anyway, I think it's yummy, 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 uh, and. The the band ends up coming after George Harrison for plagiarism. Wait, the, the band. I think it's this. I think it's this song. Let's see. Like I told you. Wait, who 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 wrote this? Yummy, yummy, yummy. Well, I'm gonna see now. I'm all wrong. I'm all fucked up. See, Produ- it's a funnier our story. Note, our producer also slept in this morning and did not oh. get us the proper notes for this segment. Oh. Um, uh, you know so- what's really funny? Uh, now you, you might as well know the producer and I are sleeping together. <laughs> oh. In the same bed? Oh, it's not yummy, 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 lovey. I, see, I tell this I tell this story, and it's funnier when you say love, yummy, 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 love in my time. People remember it, but that's not the truth. So... George Harrison, the former Beatle, was found guilty yesterday of subconsciously plagiarizing the 1962 John Mack tune, He's So Fine, Harrison, Mr. Harrison's 1970 hit record, My Sweet Lord, is mm. a, a direct rip, apparently. So, let's see. Oh, this is interesting. The archive of the New York Times. Um... Mr. Harrison was guilty of copyright infringement, though the judge concluded, I do not believe he did so deliberately. And apparently, this is the anecdotal part of the story. George Harrison says to the judge, I'm George Harrison. Why would I need to steal the, the, the song? <laughs> like, look, do I need to steal songs? <laughs> it's, I didn't know George Harrison was so influenced by India that he developed an <laughs> Indian accent. <laughs> Actually, he really was. You don't know that he was super influenced by India. I know he. That's that was part of the joke. Yes, he was so influenced by the Maharaji that he started to speak like him. Yes. Um, <laughs> apparently, according to your impersonation, George Harrison. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Think about you know, it too. You know they have uh, accent tapes for actors to help. T- <laughs> And usually, like British, you would think is just just based. You know, like, the one of the worst part is I actually did a play where I had to be Liverpoolian, and and so that's how well that did for me. <laughs> that's how well that stuck. Even the Beatles, though, got popular by and and actually good by learning how to play, you know, rock and roll songs, and all the rock and roll songs were stolen from black writers, and you know. It's it, it. There is there is a question between, and the, and we. I don't know if this went through your circuit, but the theory that all great artists steal. 
it's hard to it's hard to think about it but well yeah i mean you look i don't you know it's it's tough i i, I don't i would say to some degree um are you stealing or are you being influenced by inspired by i think you know it's it's just it's tough to say what is what i think sometimes it's definitely stealing and sometimes it's part of the artist soup it's part of the collective unconscious that we all are creating and and, and developing together whether we are aware of it or not um so hard to judge what side of the coin somebody's coming from but i can give you one example from the gen x generation that is just straight stealing let's let's go Millie Vanilli. That's straight stealing. <laughs> right, that's is straight. It, it's it straight stealing? fraud. It's fraud. It's not, well, it's fraud. It's not stealing. Because you know what though, Millie Vanilli and Vanilla Ice, which is right, Vanilli. Mm-hmm. Well, those are the two. Ice. Yeah, those are two big moments of Gen X where music stealing and fraudulence had come up. Sorry, go ahead, continue. No, I just think it's funny. I'm not. I wasn't. I wasn't upset. At what you're saying. I just no. think it's funny that no. Vanilli, Vanilla, I always thought that that was funny. But you're saying that in reference to the fact that Vanilla Ice got known for a song that was a ripoff. Yes. Yeah. Um, which is, which is kind of crazy because like for like the, you know, people, the younger people who didn't know anything about Queen, they had no clue that, dun, 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 dun. you know, they didn't know that that was anything other than. Ice, ice, yeah, baby. at all. Just, no, it's just like once you find out, you're like, this is so obvious. This is like, there's no like, we we distorted it or in some way or not. It is just they just took the they just sampled the line. Just own the up to it. The best part is too, he was on. He was interviewed where someone was like, "Do you know what do you say to the claims that this is, <laughs> you know, the the Queen song?" And he goes, "It's totally different." Queens goes dun 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 dun, dun, dun and ours goes dun dun, dun 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 like he like adds one beat <laughs> to it. And, but the thing is now though that is I can't listen to songs even from my generation, but it is a little less egregious than my generation. But most everything now has a progression and like a harmony or like a small sample of a song. That, that my generation might know or Gen Z may not know, like exactly like you're saying. So Gen Xers might not have known the Boomer Queen song, right? Let's say for lack of a better generational example. And so they're like, fuck, this shit's fresh. All the songs out there right now have some sort of hit hook or similarity to an, a bygone era of music that sucks people in. It's like, it's. I feel like it's kind of cheap because you're not... You're not challenging the listener to go, oh, do I actually like this? Or do I just remember a song that sounds like it? Is it faintly similar enough, but I don't realize I'm listening to a Queen song or what have you? Mm-hmm. Like the Good For You song, I don't I don't think I said, oh, it sounds like a Paramore song. I, Paramore was not my favorite band on, of all time. But I can definitely tell you when someone has ripped a, a Beatles song straight out. Yeah, it's well, yeah, it's. Is there, I mean, I'm not a musician, don't know much about music. Like, does, does there eventually become a limit on the amount of riffs that you can actually write? Like, do you eventually just start overlapping? 
how do you how do you be completely original in a world where you have a certain number of notes you know you have a certain arrangement of instruments um i don't know i mean can you continually be original or do you eventually cap out well when you're considering a market a capitalistic market that is meant to sell i don't think there's a lot of room to be original in general there's probably people who are doing some weird shit with music that hasn't been done before that we'll never hear because it's not under universal's umbrella because Mm -hmm. it's not similar enough to what we're listening to uh, there was a long time ago complaint about the young interns from like the 70s and 80s that worked at these big record companies have now since gotten into the major jobs at these record companies and don't take risks. Whereas like the old men would be like, I don't give a shit. Let's see how Cher does or, you know, like, like give a give creative license to someone just to see if it worked. So like, let's put out a record of that person. It's super non-scientific and possibly not true even, but there was what the, what they were, what that person was claiming was that people were more likely to give things a chance. And now I have a few friends that are writing music and are like dealing with record labels and stuff. And they're like, Hey, no, we want something that sounds like this. They're not saying, Oh, cool. What do you do? They, they want that person to produce tracks that are similar to the Justin Bieber album or the Olivia Rodrigo or this. Mm. So, of course we're going to get... Of course plagiarism doesn't matter then, if that's the case. Although, to be fair to your previous point, there are only so many notes that we know of. And it, you don't invent a song, right? You pretty much discover a song. You can write the song, sure. But a lot of it's really just, oh, I discovered that these three notes sound good together. I, I'm sure someone has done the calculations of there are 26,000 some odd uh, combinations of three notes. And that's it. Right? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a math to it at some point. There has to be. It, what, it, what's the theory that there's like 12 movie stories 12 stories and there's just every movie is a different variation thereof well i think that is that a blake schneider thing he broke broke it down to 12 genres i mean there's different philosophies on on, there are different on that but <clears throat> but yeah i mean if you if you start to look at the way we tell stories you they you can create a breakdown of like oh it fits into one of these boxes we also have a very particular way of telling stories that is formulaic and um, probably for a reason. The truth with music too in the mainstream media. Mm -hmm. And isn't there something with pop music that like it's the same four chords just in different arrangements or something like that? I feel like I've seen like a comedian like show you how like that, you know, how all pop songs are are based on the same. It's funny. The The person that you're talking about sort of looks like the cover of the Olivia Rodrigo album. Uh, he's the redhead with uh, eyeliner. Red-headed. I don't know. Indian piano eyeliner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Tim Minchin. He does. I think he does all four chords and writes and, and shows you like the 1200 songs. But I think it's him. He's hilarious. I think he's hilarious. <laughs> Okay, well, good, good, good podcast. See you.
Great. Olivia Rodrigo is a fraud. Um, and this generation is, 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 fucked. Mis- is fucked. They're misguided. They're, they're artistically stunted. Ugh. They're oh. ashamed, the, the Gen Z. They're ashamed to the generational. <laughs> they're just dumb. They just don't know. They just don't know. <laughs> Can I tell you uh, one more anecdote before we go to our sponsors? Yesterday I was playing uh, video games on the stream with my friend Scott. And Emily, who I brought up to you a couple times, our sweet Emily, our resident Gen Z uh, listener of the podcast, saw that we were playing this game. It's called 19, uh, Buddy Simulator 1984. So it looked like a DOS game where you're like, go uh, right, go left, use tool. You know Big? Remember Big? The movie mm. Big? Oh, the movie Big, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when he plays the game in the beginning with the wizard and I think it's uh. King's Quest. It's kind of like that. And so Emily goes... This game reminds me of a movie where this kid hacks into a computer and then realizes it's not a game and he's uh, playing with nuclear code. (laughs) It's just so sweet how she described this movie that everyone knows, but her generation doesn't. She's clearly describing, what is it, War Games, right? With Matthew Mm -hmm. Broderick. Mm -hmm. And it's that's common knowledge, even for my generation, that it wasn't a gen- you know, movie that we watched necessarily, but it was very sweet to see someone who's 18 go, oh my god, there's this really obscure movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then we cried. And now a word from our sponsors. So Nick, Yes, yes. I've got really great news now. Oh, from sad to happy. Just, just bringing you on this emotional roller coaster. It well, look, as if my life wasn't a roller coaster enough as it is. I, I'd love to get on this train. Let's go. I'm here for you. In the worst way. That's that's what <laughs> I'm hearing. <laughs> Guess what's coming back on September the seventeenth, Friday. September the 17th. Oh, man. what is, I have no idea. What could you be happening? You don't have any idea? Do you really not have any idea? Do you really not have any idea, Nick? No, no. Don't. Let me let me check my calendar. See if there's anything on my why calendar. Why would you know? Why, why, why would you have to check your calendar, Nick? Well, no. I'm just trying to see, like, is it a holiday? What's happening on? Should I Google it? No, I got nothing in my calendar. No. It's because you're not available that day. Nick, Heartbeats is coming back. Wait, what? Heartbeats? Heartbeats? The medical drama improvised TV show performed live on Twitch with you and me as the the, the perfect couple <laughs> is returning in in less than two weeks, depending the on when you listen couple, to this. The perfect couple, with air quotes. The perfect oh, you couple didn't for, hear, you didn't hear my medical, air quotes? Oh, I didn't hear your air quotes, no. <laughs> On a uh, on a medical drama that has a lot of daytime soap elements to it, no? Yes, <laughs> yes, perfect couple because there's only some sexual chemistry between our characters, <laughs> and that's all you need for those two people to be purposeful together. Like that's the only reason they should be together. Wait, so you're telling me this is a all improvised show that can be watched online based on a medical, like a drama, like a medical drama, like on a network show, like a Grey's Anatomy or um, Chicago Med or, or things like that. Nick, this I'm is going to be starting on September 17th and I'm, I'm in it. I'm scared. 
that you don't know any of this and it seems like it's a brand new piece of information to you. So little did you wait, know. Wait, wait, who, who created this show? Oh, I don't know. Someone who's like really talented and mm. really tired right now because they're busy doing so many things and uh, mm. had this idea like three years ago and was super inspired during the pandemic to make this a reality and, you know. Kind of sounds himself. like you a little bit. Oh, impossible. I'm a fucking fuck up. Impossible. <laughs> so what's cool, though, and maybe you didn't know this, there are 16 episodes from season one live on YouTube right now where people can watch if they didn't watch all of the episodes last season. Oh, so them. you mean if somebody wants to start watching a show on the 17th, but they feel like, oh, this is season two. I don't know what happened on season one. Correct. Like, you know, because this isn't like a normal improv show where it's like each show is its own thing. It's like this is like a TV show where it's episodic, where the, the storylines carry over from one show to the next, one season to the next season. Correct. Seriously, we, yes. You can go watch those if you want. Now, that being said, because it does have daytime soap elements, if you were to just jump in the season two, episode one on the seventeenth of September at six p.m. Pacific time, you would be fine because we would catch you up in the perfect way. You would we would recognize what's happening and you'd fall in love with us right then and there. Is there going to be like a previously on? Oh, there has to be because it's a fucking TV show. Okay. Okay. Great. Well, whoever's putting this together kind of sounds like they know what they're doing. Oh my god. Could you talk more about how you admire this person? Because that would be great. Well, no, I mean, just 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 pulling this off. I mean, having I mean, just having a medical drama serialized improv show unto itself is an amazing feat. But then to do it online, I mean, how did where? Wait, but this was done last year. So were people in the same studio together? Like, how did they? How did people record this? Not to burst the bubble of mystery a little bit. Not to. Not to burst the bubble of mystery too much. We did everything remotely over Zoom, and yet it still looks like we're improvising in the same place. Well, wait a second. You mean the actors aren't even in the same room together? Some weren't even in the same state. Or the same time zone, dude. Whoa. I remember correctly, you did one of those episodes in fucking Atlanta. Did I? Was I? You may have been. I may have been. I definitely did. I definitely did the first episode in my laundry room because sure I had did. internet issues in my garage suddenly out of nowhere and in a very tight spaced laundry room. Um, you know, you are so you're so good in the show, and uh, I've told this story on Doc Talk, and I think if you listen to episode five, you can listen to Nick and I rap about heartbeats a little bit. Um, episode five of You Don't Know Nick. Uh, but you, aside from your just killer charm and your sexual chemistry and your great improvising hits and emotional ability and your doctoring, you knew how to play with depth <laughs> like nobody else. You could make a green screen room look like it was 75 feet long and you were walking down the hall. <laughs> you would, you'd have props ready for everything. It's really impressive. It was very impressive. I, I, I actually love that element. Uh, and I, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, when it was like everybody was buying all, all actors and especially improv actors were buying green screens. Um, I bought a like, you know, 10 by 15 foot green screen, actually, or maybe even 10 by 20 feet. That's huge. We were all getting like seven by sixes or whatever. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm I have a garage, so that's helpful. You know, in order to do okay, that, you Gen need to X. Ha- you need to have like a big ceiling, and you need to be able to put the camera far away from you so you could play with depth. Right. But I'm also, I'm also, uh, you know, a director, and so I I think I come from a director's mind, and I like. I like that aspect. I like to think about all the technical elements and like creating a cool experience. Um, because if so it's you're just saying I didn't encourage that enough in our other actors, and so as no, the director think... yourself, you were feeling the deficit of that. No, no, I that's got not. It. That's no, no, I no, got that's, it. that's not because you because not everybody has that capability. Like you said, a lot of people are buying like five by sevens. They don't have the room to do that. So right. You had the awareness that you, if you if you push people to do things they can't do, then they're going to get uninspired, unmotivated. So you have to let people do what they can do, and and um, that's actually a perfect way to put it, right? Is learning the balance of okay, I really want a perfect show, but I want people to show up and feel super at ease, so that it, we have the best show possible. So learn, and I think improv does train that for us. Uh, but th- we're, we're not here to talk about how wonderful I am. <laughs> all i'm saying is cue her looking at me like talk more wonderful things about me yeah i didn't ask i'm just saying I don't know. i know i don't know do that it. Don't, don't do, do it. it don't do it but what she's doing underneath what you're not seeing is she's like please keep talking about me please i need, I need please this don't right keep now not talking about me uh <laughs> you're gonna see in our liner notes uh for the episode today a link to where you can watch all the episodes uh, on YouTube, you also have to make sure you're subscribed or following, at the very least, twitch.tv slash Ripley Improv and tune in live at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern on September 17th for season two, where we find out who maybe is the father of my child. Uh-oh. Uh oh, wait a second. Oh, now you just you just ruined it for people who haven't watched season one yet. But yes, that is the cliffhanger here in a on again, off again, tumultuous relationship oh. between my character, Doctor Dick, and <laughs> uh, <Dick>. and <laughs> sorry, Doctor Richard. No, uh, definitely he's a dick. Yeah, he's not, well, no, he's not a dick. No, he has a dick. Yes, and he is a doctor of. Mm-hmm. No, he's not just a doctor of. He's a doctor of love. Is what he, he is. There he um, is. There it oh, is. And what was your character's name? Doctor Love. So, <laughs> <laughs> bring us home, Nick. So anyways, on again, off again, tumultuous thing. Just when you thought they were going to come together, they break apart. But it turns out, Doctor Love's pregnant. Doctor Dick's all in. No pun intended. But we come to find out that maybe. He's not the father. Bum, bum, bum. See you then. Yes. <laughs> you were going to tell me something before uh, we were recording about your daughter with regards to gender or something. Yeah. So, and so I'm curious. So yeah, so this is something we were talking off off air on, but um, seems seems to be pertinent. Look, I'm s- swimming in uh, an ocean without a life raft here as I try to figure out, you know, 
how to teach my child about gender in today's world. And it is, it's interesting. Um, one, I'm taking a stance of I'm not trying to teach her anything, right? But currently at the moment, because honestly, I don't really know what to teach. Um, and generally, she's in a stage where she's discovering pronouns. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've sometimes have said, that's a boy, that's a girl. But generally, they've ne- we, don't, we don't do that. Just, right, right. For whatever reason, I don't know if it's just we don't. I mean, we, it's not it's something we've talked about, but I do think it's something that unconsciously we're both aware of. Me and my well, wife. She was born in that. She was born in that. Burn. She was born in that perfect pocket of when people were starting to recognize that they might be a they them or non-binary or you know, um, it was becoming a little bit more in the public eye, right? So she's kind of got the benefit of you all learning that at the same time. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think there's two things. Like there's one as a parent, like just observing your child and and going, well, does her gender match her sex? Um, You know, and not wanting to imprint a gender onto her and just kind of seeing how that develops. But then two, and like, how, how do you introduce pronouns? How do you identify people? Um, And it's, it's interesting because, you know, definitely like, you know, are you, are you um, not being helpful by not saying, "Hey, well, this is what a boy is, and that's what a girl is." Yeah. Or, or, or but, or are you oversimplifying things by doing that? So I find myself constantly being aware of, you know, how the words she's using, the words I'm using, when we read a book. What pronoun do we use? Um, and so, so, so anyways, I'll just share with you what has been happening. And I, you know, there's no right or wrong here, but just the fact that this is, I guess this is something that parents right now who are mindful and conscious of this um, evolving uh, language, um, you know, because I definitely, I'm sure there's some parents who are very, no, there's boys and there's girls. Obviously, the, you know that those the people have that perspective out there, and it's important to teach your child the difference, right? You know? Um, uh, and I and I can un, I, I can really understand that and identify with that because at some point you're like, well, at some point she does need to learn the difference. Um, and it's not bad for someone to be a woman or a man or binary. You know, it's not, and it shouldn't be vilified. Exactly. So, but how do you teach that? How do you do that? Currently at the moment, for better or for worse, we're just allowing whatever to arise. It's kind of what's happening. And so here's what's arising or here's what's happening. Yeah, I'm curious what you mean with whatever uh, with regards to her. Well, because we don't ever really go, I would say 95, at least 95% of the time, we don't ever say that's a boy or that's a girl. There have been times when I have done it where she's maybe misidentified based on my observation. I mean, I guess I don't technically know, but, um, or maybe I might, and just more recently, I might just, just say like, oh, no, no, that's a, that's a, that's a girl or that's a boy. Just because I feel like she needs a little bit of help with that. Um, but she's, 
slowly discovering things on her own. And generally speaking, <laughs> I don't know that she knows the difference between he, she pronoun. Like, I just don't know that she knows the difference. We read books. I try to use the she pronoun as much as possible, even though it's habitual to say he for, for most characters. And most books are written about boys just in general. Sure, 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 sure. You know, when, it, when it's a, you know, a talking dog or whatever. You know what I mean? It's, it's very often a boy dog. Um, but, you know, just on the same thing, just on the idea of like having a daughter and not wanting to have all the characters be boy characters, I use the she a lot. But she doesn't even know that, I don't know that she knows the difference between a he pronoun and a she pronoun yet. And I haven't really explained it to her. Maybe that's part of the thing. But she doesn't really know the difference between the two, as far as I can tell. Um, and she'll use the the pronouns interchangeably to, to describe different people. Um, but it's oh, she will. It, so it characters in a book. Oh, yeah. oh, 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 People. Well, you're also like, confusing her too a little bit. It sounds like. No, I mean that with all due diligence, due respect. No, but no. I don't think so. I mean, I don't think we. I don't think we are confusing her. I think. Uh, I think it might be more confusing, if, honestly. And this is just my observation. If I was a bit more, um, no, that's not. You're not. That's not a boy. That's a. That's not a he. That's a she. There's been times when may, maybe I've said that, or what I do is just like. But she'll she'll generally default to the he for whatever reason. I don't know if that's something that we've done. But she generally defaults to most characters are he's. Right. Um, when when she's like, "What's he doing? What's he doing? What's he doing?" Right, right, right. You know, and it's she doesn't know. Like she's just using the word he as as what's that person doing? What's that person doing? She's not using it like what's that boy? What's that male? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, from from as far as you could tell. That's... And I'm, you know, and just generally, we're just not the types of parents to go to correct her on anything right now. Um, and we found that to be something that's like that. She's smart enough. She figures it out over time. We don't. Oh, that's interesting. So like she, she, before we um, started the podcast, she came in with two footballs and she was like, this one's blue. And I, and the other one was two toned and it was silver and orange. And she goes, it's orange. I was like, great. What's the other color? And she said black. And you're like, it's kind of like black. And so I thought that was interesting that you didn't tell her it was fucking silver. (laughs) And, (laughs) and, is that so? That's a conscious choice y'all are making. Yeah, there's sometimes when we make corrector when it needs to be corrected, but that's she's not wrong in that it wasn't it's a it was, shade. It was, it was like a gray. It wasn't really a silver. I mean, she but, was wrong. <laughs> it was gray, but gray is a shade of black, right? So, I th- I think that there's potentially more damage being done by saying what you see is not correct than by saying. Oh, you got the importance of getting every color the right descriptor, right? Because she's still developing language. So she's still developing what's the right word for the right situation. So do you want to be in a scenario where you're constantly getting the word wrong? Or do you want to be in a scenario where you're you're more in this place of my instincts are being developed and they will, she will correct over time. She's smart enough. She does it all the time. Yeah. You know? And so I don't need to tell her, no, you got that color wrong. I'll just say sometimes what what it actually is. Mm. Makes sense? Yeah, yeah. So like, no, I wouldn't say, no, that's not black. That's gray. I would say, oh, yeah, it's kind of like black. Yeah, it's a it's an orange and gray ball. 
you're cure your um it sounds like you're cultivating as opposed to changing the way she looks at the world yeah yeah i'm trying to create the space for her to to kind of figure it out you know and trying to at best to model what to do now the problem is i have a human and i have bad habits um and sometimes that modeling picks up bad habits so here's one bad habit that she has um that i don't i don't know you know we don't we haven't corrected it we're going to see how it goes but she refers to everybody as guy mm. that guy that guy that guy that guy interesting and so it doesn't matter if you're female or male it's that guy. And now I think that referring to people as guys, like, hey, you guys, is, is a pro- it's becoming a problematic term where people want to, you know, if you want, don't want to use gendered language, can you not say you guys, but mm-hmm. say you all, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm a definitely a you guys type of person. It's a habit, you know, yep. whatever. Yep. Um, so I think that's supposed to be where she got it from. I don't know. Um, but everybody's a guy and I can, it definitely throws off women when she goes that guy and they don't really know like, Oh, is she talking to me? Like, and, and it feels almost offensive for some, for you to call a woman a guy. Right. But then they realize it's a child, you know, and she's just whatever. But somehow she's developed that. I was like, okay, well, so we have two things here. One is she's, she's calling everybody by the same gender. And then two, She's using a word that is on its w- supposed to be on its way out right now, <laughs> right? So it's like, okay, well, how do we manage this? And so slowly, I've been like, you know what's a you know what's a different word instead of guy, person. Let's say that person. Okay, can you say that person, that person? So I slowly started to do that. We'll see how that starts to work. Um, but it's but it's also it's like. In other areas of her language development, she misuses other words. Right, right. Right? That's just part of what it is. I'm not going to correct her every time she misuses a word. I'm not going to be like the grammar police. (laughs) Right? I know what she's trying to communicate. If I take the time to try to read, to give her the word that she needs to have for that proper situation, it changes her brain. Now she's like, oh, I did something wrong. What's right? And it puts her in that space of wrong and right. Whereas what we've noticed is eventually she's smart enough to figure it out. Huh. So, but when do you, like, when do you do what I said, like, I've started doing, which is giving, you know, telling her, let's not say guy, let's say person, you know, and is person the right word? I was like, what's the right word that I should tell her to say? Yeah. You know? Um, So, yeah, so it's, so it's really fascinating. I think she's slowly learning like that's a boy like she sometimes will say that's a boy that's a girl and it's like well, what defines you know basically usually when you're looking at these kid books the only thing that you have to tell you the difference is long hair and dresses are girls short hair and and pants are boys right but that's oh not- yeah these these like basically the bathroom symbols right mm-hmm. that there's a dress on the bathroom symbol and then the the boy doesn't have a dress these like universal quote unquote antiquated now versions of people's existences. Yeah. So it's just fascinating. Now she's watching cartoons, you know, some cartoons and like I noticed on Peppa Pig, they were like, there was this one cartoon where it's like 
it's the boys versus the girls in a in a yacht in a something in a soccer match or something. It's like okay, well now she's getting from TV. These are mm-hmm. the girls. These are boys. So somebody's mm-hmm. teaching her that, mm-hmm. um, which is in itself also difficult. I just did a, a commercial voiceover audition where it basically said um, it was a joke. Like this is the best snack for. Man, uh, every man, woman, and beast. So it's for it's like the the beast is like one of their, uh, you know, ma- mascots for the, the thing. Let's say right. Mm-hmm. So like essentially, if you eat this thing, you're a beast, bruh, whatever. But it's kind of weird in a world where we're trying to transcend two genders. And so now are you suggesting everyone that's non-binary is a beast or are you just not including them in, in that umbrella or, uh, and I know that's certainly not what their intention is, unless it's a highly conservative company, which I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 it's easy to assume when a company's making over a million dollars, they're probably <laughs> voting, voting for Trump, probably. Um, but that's a, that's a gross generalization, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, that's where cynical Jessica comes in like jessica has a lot of flowers and she's watering all of them and she loves the world and she wants everyone to hold hands across america but also just realizes that there's a reality to things where a lot of people who can benefit from the tax breaks probably may veer that way or whatever politics and our capitalistic society are tight-knit and it's hard for me to uh create a disillusionment about that but that's neither here nor there uh my point being, and I think I've already made the point, are, are, it, we don't ha- we're still learning. Uh, my question to you is, how do you feel you are uh, acclimating to the new zeitgeist of different genders? Uh, me as a person in my life, and you know, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I I am I, I'm an observer. You know what I mean? So. I don't take hard stances on on really anything. Not really anything. There's definitely things I will take a hard stance on. But generally, I believe that anytime you think you know something, you're probably wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that just the idea that you think you know, just even that phrase, I think I know. Do you really know? Um, so I live my life in assumptions, like oh, knowing that all my thoughts are assumptions based mm-hmm. on my own history my what i call my veil of perception right of of all the things that have made up my veil of how i filter what the things i receive so i don't really take hard stances on a lot of stuff but i like to observe and pay attention um so right now i think i'm in you know deep observation mode i think there's a lot of things that i see that um make a lot of sense i think there's a lot of things that i've seen in in sort of the you know, gender being more than just binary are things that actually resonate with me personally as a human being. Um, Mm. And then, you know, and then in terms of being open and uh, observing other people who have their own relationship to, to this and just learning and watching and seeing what, seeing what resonates as like what I would say something that's in harmony or attuned you know, it's a, if I feel like it's in attunement with where where I'm at, then and then I go, oh yeah, that may I could see that. It makes sense. Um, so I'm where I'm at is I'm 
you know, I'm definitely open to the idea that, you know, who we are spiritually may not always match up with who we are physically. And that doesn't just take its form in terms of gender. It could take its form in many ways. And right now, gender just seems to be like one that is, yeah, you know, very hard to escape in terms of uh, if your gender doesn't match your physical gender, it's very obvious. Like it's a very, it's a, it's a, it's a big conflict. Whereas, you know, if there's other ways that my spiritual nature doesn't match my physical nature may not be as obvious to other people. Or maybe, yeah. You know. Yeah. Or as dividing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there are, there are so many lines drawn in the sand, especially with us living in a quote unquote Christian nation. I, I saw this really wonderful argument about how our settlers from England came here to seek religious asylum. Because there was, you either believe in the Church of England or you get along doggy, you know, like you got it. It's like one thing or another. So the pilgrims go, well, we don't want to do that. And so we, we will go to this different country. At least that's what the history books tell us. And now we're not being afforded, even though we can practice our religion however we want. And we, we should be allowed to do that. We're still demonized in our uh, laws and our zeitgeist. If you're not Christian, well, the Lord says you shouldn't have an abortion. Well, that's Christianity and that's your religion. But we're here supposed to be in a country with freedom to practice whatever religion you want. I'm good for you that that's what you believe. You know, a lot of the people that are having pushbacks on the gender um, changing or the gender awakening really are people who are Christian. I think like, well, there's just a man and a woman. And the traditionalism of that, you know. I mean, I think, yes, you could generalize to say that, that a it's lot a of... Lot of a generalization is a huge... Yeah, to be fair, I'm generalizing a lot. I, I, I'm still piecing together what I believe and why we are experiencing so many pushback things in our culture. I think, yeah, religion in general mm-hmm. limits your ability to, to think beyond a sort of rigid set of dogma, right? So... So, so I do think, yes, that plays a part of it. Um, and, but the, you know, but part of the Christian thing is, you know, in terms of what you say of like this country, uh, uh, you know, freedom of practicing religion. I think, I think a lot of people think, no, no, freedom to practice various forms of Christianity. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I, exactly, that's kind of my point is cool, but are are you Lutheran or are you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and that, that's pretty shitty when you think about it. Like, I was, I was having a conversation with a family member of mine recently. And my brother was in on that conversation with me. And it devolved very quickly to, do you actually believe our country is a racist nation? Do you not believe in Christianity? It went very quickly to all these conservative talking points. And I had to catch myself to stop myself from being like a liberal talking head. You know, like, okay, here's an opportunity to actually talk to somebody that I love because they're my family member that I don't agree with. How do I have this conversation with things that they're telling me that I don't agree with? And very quickly, the conversation turns to religion. And and my brother goes, well, there's, you know, thousands, 
10,000 religions. And my cousin, I, should, I wasn't going to say my cousin. My cousin goes, yeah, but Christianity is the right one. Based on what? Your feeling that it is? And he's like, well, no, I read a lot of theological books and, and also Christian apologists and stuff. You, but it's really, it's, it's really hard to contend with people who feel like they're the, it's the right religion. They're being trained to evangelize people that way. Uh, and I, I guess the reason why I'm, I'm circum, cir- circling back to religion with regards to this gender topic that we're just talking about is my mother's also struggling with it and she's born again. And I love my mother, and it's one of the things we, we, we try to avoid as a topic so that we can still be in each other's lives. Uh, she voted Republican, and I don't think she hated Trump until he was almost out of office. I don't know if she still does hate him or not. I don't know. You know, because they're not getting shown the things the liberals are getting shown about. Like, like we're being divided. Anyway, I, I've i started taking the stance with my mom with things. Like, she's like, I can't believe that person is blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, you know, mom, aren't we so lucky that we were born into a body that we feel comfortable in? That like, aren't you lucky that you feel like a woman and your body is of a female sex? Isn't that great? She can kind of hear that. I don't know. I just feel like a lot of these conversations tend to circle back to people having a hard time to change what was indoctrinated into them. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think also people, you know... The mind itself needs sort of certain guide, let's say guideposts or like, you know, value system to basically ground itself into this sort of, you know, day-to-day life we live, this earthly realm. So it creates these sort of things to hold on to because if you just are open, if you don't have any sort of rules you set for yourself, like this is this and that is that, Right. Um, and if you didn't have that and everything could be whatever it was, whatever, whatever the millions of various variations that things can be, then you would not be able to function in life. Life would become overwhelming. And there's some people with, you know, probably severe mental illness like schizophrenia or whatnot, who probably experienced those types of things. Um, so we, you know, I think the movie Inside Out, right? Don't they do this? Oh, yeah. Don't they have like your core, like your your core centers or whatever? I, I don't emotional, think I ever finished. Your emotional pillars, essentially. Your emotional pillars, right. So that's, like, that's a, a play on this sort of idea. And so when you plant a flag firmly rooted in your brain that this is what, this is a truth about life, it's hard to take that flag back out, especially if that flag has served you for a long time. Um, and the more deeply rooted it is, um, the harder it is to pull it out. Um, and then if you do, you're not, you're, you're, you become, well, what else do I have to hold on to? Yeah. You just took that, you just took that away from me. So, so I totally get that. So, and and it's so, and it's, you know, to say that, you know, your deeply held beliefs are what's holding people back. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, and I don't think. I don't demonize people for that. It's hard how it manifests itself, right? Like, because life is just a series of random things that happen to collide into what we're experiencing right now. You know, there was no great grand design that made all the things that are happening in our society right now happen. And it just so happened that things are colliding. And 
a lot of people aren't currently, some people are not in a current position to take a, an examination of their own life or their own beliefs, or they don't have the, uh, they're in survival mode or things are scary in their life. My question to you is when, when were you always an inquisitive, open-minded person? Like you said, you know, you observe, were you always that way or did something make you that way? Uh, I think I was always this, I think I was always this way, though I have had experiences that have opened me up over, over time. Um, I was raised very Christian. I was also raised very conservative. Um, and I remember in, in high school, I was a pretty good debater amongst friends and I would debate for Were you the, a master debater? I was a master debater. <laughs> I mean... Uh, I don't gonna, I'm not going to continue that. Okay, that I, just, I, just, okay. I just had to ask. Okay. Uh, but I would vehemently argue conservative vehemently? talking points. Yeah. Our conservative talking Hold points. On. Not vehemently? Vehemently? Oh, okay. Never mind. I think you can pronounce it either way. Okay, great. Vehemently. Okay, carry on. You would vehemently. <laughs> you can't even correct me properly. I guess not. Vehemently or vehemently? No. Vehemently? I don't know. I say vehemently. I love it. I love it. Um, Argue these points and, you know, and also in a way, like I know how to pigeonhole somebody and make it hard for them to argue back. It's not really a good debating tactic. It's more of a bully tactic. But uh, I definitely was that that kid in high school. Um, At least I wouldn't do that just randomly. I mean, with close friends where I knew we could. Are you trying to like win an argument with a bud or you're, you know, you're in speech? Sure. Yeah. You know, um. But, you know, once I started to become more aware of, like, uh, things outside of what I was just being taught in my own household, I started going, well, what aligns with my values and, you know, and yada, yada, and I made my choices moving forward. But uh, I have always been somebody who, um, I think maybe, I don't know if it's just in my genetics or it's that fact that I'm the youngest of four boys where I was never allowed to do anything except for watch. It's like... Interesting. You know, they're like I learned chess by watching them play because I couldn't play. I was, they would be like, "You're too huh. young, get out of here." You know, I learned by watching. Um, I remember like my, my one of my dad's favorite saying is like, "You're not old enough for that yet." You know, I'm like, "Yeah, but but my oldest brother Greg, he did that when he was my age, right?" So there was there was always. I think it was just easier to not have to look after another like son climbing on the roof. Um, or totally. you know, things like that. or And then with my brothers, it was just like, well, we don't want to deal with somebody who's not old enough to know how to play the game. It's frustrating, you know, yada, yada. So I was always put in a situation of watching. So I, I don't know if that made me an observer or if I was genetically predisposition for it. Well, but. it doesn't sound then that you were too rebellious with regards to that then too. Because you could – so it does sound like a nature and nurture thing. Because my youngest brother got to do everything we did. He was playing mm. bowling. He was bowl- He bowled at the same age. He bowled at four and was an excellent bowler when my brother and I were bowling in high school. <laughs> he was literally throwing balls down the lane with his own fucking bowling ball and getting strikes. He was like insanely good. It was it was <laughs> ridiculous. But like a different set of parents might have been, you're not good in a bowling ball until you're 12. You know, like your brother. Like... Because maybe they didn't want to pay for another bowling ball or something. But I don't know that my brother's personality would have let him just observe. 
Mm. Let him just. So I, I, I love, I love the little buds of personalities in children and seeing how that evolves, especially so that we understand ourselves better. You know, there's the kids that are attached to the parent, and then when there's a, a group of kids, they run away or they come back to the parent. There's all these little hints at what these kids are gonna be, and then then we get shaped by the world as well too. We well in terms of gender and. Mm-hmm. And Clementine, you know, we've just taken the sort of stance of never saying, we've never said to her, I don't think, or maybe we have by now said that she's a girl. Um, oh, interesting. Um, we might have by now, or she might have, she's, she might have out. said it, you know. Mm. You know and, and also, or, other people are going to meet Clem and go, oh my God, what a pretty girl. You know, they're going to reinforce it that way, whether you're teaching her that or not. Totally. But we're also living in a time where... In you her, don't see a lot of people. We don't see a lot of people. And most of the last year and a half, I guess before the summer, it was just mama and dad. So it was easy for her to not have that world reflected back to her. Well, and that's going to fuck her up in a different way that we have no idea yet. But <laughs> Yeah, it'll be interesting. Although she's overcome a lot of her social anxiety that she developed during that time and now she's oh good for her because when she was a little baby she was very outgoing and then i think the quarantine pulled her back but yep but this summer of seeing people she's back she's she's back i think that happened to a lot of us and so that's interesting that happened with a child i think so but but you know just trying to pay attention to her like we were like okay well that's who is she gonna who's who's this person going to be right um and she kind of looked like a boy. Like everybody would, when she was a baby, people would mistake her for a boy. We also didn't like dress her in a bunch of pink clothes. And oftentimes we would put her in blue clothes because she has stunning blue eyes and, and whatever. She mm. looks great in blue. So people would constantly think she was a boy. So if right. actually most of the time when she was a baby baby, people would say, oh, what a boy. We would never correct anybody. Like, whatever. What's the point of correcting anybody? <laughs> this is a girl. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're like, okay. And... You know, okay, well, well, let's be open to to that. She also is very, like, she felt very, it's just some masculine traits where she can be very aggressive and Mm -hmm. and like, okay, well, but she's also a a kid, so whatever. How do we tell? But then after after a while, just like a very strong femininity is is present in her. She she loves pink. It's one of her favorite colors. Uh We... Don't like adorn everything with pink, but she likes. She'll gravitate towards pink clothes and things like that. Um, and she, she has a. She sometimes takes on these very effeminate poses, and physical way of 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 moving her body. And, um, you know, when we were watching the Olympics, when we were watching Olympics, when we were watching gymnastics. She loved gymnastics, but she specified she loved women's gymnastics. Interesting. So right, so. You know, as far as we could tell at this point, it seems like at least the quality of femininity is very strong within her. Yeah, yeah. Um, whether that means her gender is female, I don't know. But my guess at this point would be that it probably is. Right. But you can have a very feminine male person. It's possible. So, uh, but it's just interesting to like let let it let it. You know, let her become who who she Explore is. Explore that to have to have the freedom to just go. Oh, I, yeah, I like that, this and that. She's going to be who she is. We don't need to define her reality for her, and that just isn't with gender. That's with anything. Uh, everything. Right? Everything. 
So she can, she can, she can figure it out. She doesn't need somebody to, to define what things are for her. What? And this is how I'll wrap up the topic. Cause you're right that like this does apply to all sorts of things. And all of us, uh, we can create someone's reality and, and you have an especially impactful role by having a daughter. Uh, so you can, you can, you do have to be interested. You have to be aware of what reality you're creating for them. Did you ever experience the, the question, whether you realized it or not, am I uh, definitely a boy or am I a little bit of a girl? Like, did you ever have that inner questions for myself? Yeah. Did you always know you were a boy? I mean, I, I think so. Yeah, I think so. But I do think that Feminine energy lives strong within me. Um, and you never, you, like, question that? Or, like, oh, my God, why do I have some femininity? Or, like... No I, no, no, I never really did. I mean, sometimes it would be a joke of, like, oh, my mom always wanted a girl, but but the closest she got was me. Was Nick. <laughs> you know, and I didn't know if that was... I was also kind of a mama's boy. Like, she took me around everywhere. I was the youngest, so my relationship with her was stronger. So I just didn't know if that was just because I had a strong relationship with her or if it was, you know, if it was, you know, nature or nurture. Um, you know, I do remember a long time ago watching, like, a talk show. I don't think it was Oprah, but, you know, one of the talk shows where there was a, you know, a biologically male individual who identified as a lesbian. Okay. And I was like, and for some reason, I was like, okay, this is really strange. The first, this is like, must've been late eighties, maybe oh, early nineties. Wow. Yeah, sure. And I'm like, how does that work? Okay. So your, your sex is a, is male, but your identity is female, but you're attracted to women. So if you're ident- so that's how you be- that's how you get there. It's like okay, and I wasn't when I was watching that I wasn't like this is wrong or this is um, whatever. I was like oh that's interesting. And there was just something about that I was like huh, I guess if you if you identify as a girl and you like women, I guess that would make you a lesbian. Right, right, right. You know, right. And that was my first sort of exposure to it. And then it wasn't until years and years later that it that I saw it more common or regular. Um, I think even being open-minded to like not judge it open-faced on right away is, is huge. Mm-hmm. That's a concept that takes a lot of people a long time to learn sometimes. And I think maybe, maybe even as early as that, I recognized that there was a strong femininity in me. I think when I was younger, I, I was friends with a lot of girls. I wasn't necessarily more girls than than boys, but uh, but sometimes it was. I don't know. I, I had a lot of close girl friends, uh-huh. um, but I also had a lot of close boyfriends. So you had so a really was, large friend zone. <laughs> <laughs> I was trust me, I had plenty of friend zones in my life. Uh, um, but yeah, I think I've always, I, I you know I love dance. I love um, I love. Uh, you know, what might be more traditionally feminine attributes and qualities and movements and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I think if I do self, you know, like when I come down to it, like I don't identify as male hundred percent. And, and I just think that masculinity and femininity that are, are separate than gender. Yeah. Right. So or sex is different from gender. Well, sex is different from gender. And then ma- masculinity and femininity, the qualities 
are don't need to be only available to women, yes. people that are women and people that are men. I mean, you can see, you, you see this in the gay community a lot, right? You can see, let's say in a lesbian community, you can see a lesbian woman who's very masculine and you can or see a, a lipstick woman, lesbian right, who's very feminine be, i think it might probably might be an antiquated term but i don't think it's an antiquated term but i think maybe defining all feminine lesbians as lisp, lisp, lipstick lesbians maybe in a well, way certainly i'm not suggesting that all of feminine ultra feminine lesbians are lipstick lesbians but there are lipstick lesbians and then there's mm-hmm. butch lesbians and then there's yeah who knows? A million different other ones as well. Correct. <laughs> Those are just the ones that society has taught me about. Um, and but you see finish. this also. You see it in the gay, the male gay community as well. There's much more effeminate men and and much more bears masculine. And yes, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And then even then, um, when I was at Star Trek Las Vegas, and there was a couple of pan- panels about um, gender expression and and uh, LGBTQ community members in within the geek community and um one of the people that was the one the person that was moderating the panel was sharing that at first they were trans and they were and they were woman and then they realized they were actually they them but when they were a woman they felt like they had to be hyper feminized in order for the society to accept them so that means i had to paint my nails i had to you know do my hair in order to actually be a woman but when they really thought about it, their identity expression didn't feel comfortable in that way. So mm. there is a pressure on the outside. I think we all feel pressures societally in different ways. I'm like, fuck, if I'm not wearing makeup today, I'm not attractive. You know, I truly do feel that way. I, I like I'm going, oh, Jesus, you're a fucking mess. And you're not you're not sexually viable today. Like and so we all have our own different. Uh, concerns societally with that, I think, and it's an extra pressure with people of the LGBTQ community to feel like, well, if I'm going to already be other, how do I make that more palatable for people? What I will say is, and we'll wrap up the topic this way, I didn't know whether I was, um, if, if the masculinity I felt in me was appropriate or wrong, or it was all, conf- it was confusing to me. Um, but not into the sense where I'm like, I'm definitely not a woman. I had to definitely decide that I was a woman, though, at a certain point. I was like, well, I've got boobs and I don't have a penis. <laughs> so that probably means I'm not a boy. When I was in high school, I really idolized Lenny Kravitz. Oh, Jesus Christ. And. Uh, oh, my God. It's just the epitome of cool for me. Wow. Um, and I kind of, you know, I wanted, it's like, I had long hair at the time too. I'd grown my hair long. Um, you know, I was like, oh yeah, I want the earrings and the, and the, you know, the snake tattoo on the arm, yada, yada. I don't know if I would have ever gotten a oh tattoo. Oh my God. Um, but, but I did want earrings. I was like, oh, I wanted, you know, I wanted an earring to go with my long hair. Um, and, and I remember my mom going, you know, basically saying, you know, saying no, um, my, because my dad was pretty adamant that no, I couldn't get earrings. And he, here's what he said for better or for worse. I have four boys. I don't need a girl right now. Oh my you God. Know, yeah. 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 But I, I mean, I totally an understandable statement for him to make. There's nothing, I don't think there's anything wrong with that statement. I don't vilify that statement, especially from where 
from mm-hmm. the, at that time. And and it's interesting because you know, and my mom was like, "Look, your, your father works works hard for this family. He doesn't say no to a lot of things. Let's can we just respect his choice?" Yes, I don't really need an earring that bad. Is whatever you know. There was nothing screaming inside of me of like, "This is who I am." <laughs> um, and they let me have my ridiculously long, you know, dumb long curly hair. Um, so I don't need a girl right now. But it is interesting. It's just an interesting sort of phrase. Like, I, you know, today, I, I don't know if I would say that phrase, but did that phrase, was that phrase helpful or, or hurtful for me? I think there's an argument to say that this is just for me, that it was also helpful. Um, not that, like, just that, I don't know what the, I don't know, you know, it almost like it almost answered the question for you. I think if the question still burned for you, it would have also been helpful in that sense to go, wait, actually, that makes this quest even stronger for me. And to hear it affirmed, like sometimes if you get something affirmed too many times, you could you could forget you you could be convinced, right? The indoctrination process. But it's but sometimes you need someone to make a gut call for you and you go, oh wait, that's that's right. That's probably true. It's not always black and white bad. Yeah, and it wasn't like I was questioning my, you know, my identity or my sexuality. Getting an earring was actually, you know, Lenny Kravitz is, in my mind, like, you know, all masculine cool. I say all masculine. He's got like a nice thread of femininity in there. He's got he's, some femininity in there, for sure. Yeah. Uh, those those tight pants and, and uh, fringe jackets and moccasins. That he somehow pulls off. It's unreal. He certainly uh, does. You're totally right. Yeah. I met him once. We'll get that. St- we'll get into that story some other oh, time. Oh, I can't wait to hear this story. Uh, it's, it's classic. Um, but there was nothing like, like that. There was nothing in me that was like, oh, like, uh, you know, wanting to, you know, to, uh, trying to understand my identity. It was literally, I, I thought having earrings were cool. But still hearing that phrase, it's just, for some reason, it's just a, you know, interesting phrase being, being heard that stuck with me that, um, not in, in either a good or bad way, but, but just in terms of this conversation, it's, you know, it's just, it's what you as parents like have to think about in terms of your language today. It's true. So as we wrap up today, Nick, what's your summization, summary, surmise, surmisement of in one sentence of today's episode oh my gosh of today's episode where do we start no just one sentence what's your takeaway what did you learn about yourself today what i learned about myself i guess here to to just this world is about remaining just remain open and trust and trust that your attunement to the world will guide you to whatever path you need to be on I love that. I like that. Yeah. Good job. And that if you put a flag in the ground. No, only one sentence. <laughs> no, I mean, I understand it. Be, will, be willing to pick it up and replay and change it with a different one. Totally. I think I like that. Be, be willing to assess the fine, foundational structure of that flag. I think that, that I'll, I'll, I'll think of it that way. You'll allow it. I'll allow it. Nick, good night. Wait, you don't get a. What's your one sentence uh, takeaway? Okay, you my put sentence. Me on the spot. My one sentence is. Um, 
be more prepared next time. <laughs> Wake up on time. Plan the episode. Don't speak out of your ass so much. It no, I think more- you, I actually think uh, had the audience not known, I think uh, this looks. I mean, we had our producer gotten us to proper notes, maybe right, that, right, 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 know, right. Yeah, we would have been fine. But yes, good night, Jess. Go ahead, go back to sleep. I have to go back to sleep. Nick, the pleasure is mine today. Thank you. And mine as well. Oh, that makes me so happy. Good night, Nick. Good night, Jess. Nichols, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Nick and I really love doing this podcast for you. We love doing it together. We love talking about what the generational experience is like from different perspectives. And we really look forward to hearing from different things that you have to contribute to us as well. If you become a patron today, you could ask us questions if you're at a certain tier. You can get early access to episodes if we're able to get them done in time for you. You'll get sick-ass merch. And if we can find the time a monthly deep dive where Nick and I go deep on topics that we're passionate about but aren't necessarily through the generational lens. Become a patron today. Become an official nickel. Go to patreon.com slash you don't own Nick to find out more ways you can support our podcast. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week, Nichols. Now that was a JLV production.